What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Prey, and today we have an exciting guest. But first, I'd be remiss if I didn't say we do miss Alex while he's off hiking around in Spain or Portugal or wherever he is right now doing his pilgrimage. But we don't miss him enough to not podcast, so I'm here with... Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic One, Oscar Mike. Mike Demo, who is a Marine Corps veteran, small business consultant who's helped over a thousand small business owners. He does funding for businesses. He runs uh, acquisition-based funding. He does funding of all sorts. He's done some really freaking cool deals. And now he's going to be, we'll talk about this here in a minute, he's going to be running even a collegiate level course on acquisition-based funding, which is like, for those of you who read the book, Buy Then Build, it is that style of uh, getting into business. So way cooler, in my opinion, than having to play the startup game because that fucking sucks. And uh, yeah, so this is going to be a lot of fun. And Mike's been in the Facebook group for a long time. And he and I really just kind of started talking because he's always adding a ton of value. And I like that. So um that's where we are right now. We got on a phone call, what, a month ago? And I was like, holy shit, you're doing some cool stuff. We should jump you on the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, took us a little while to get that set up for the second time, but, you know. Yeah, I was down in Austin. I went a little too hard in the paint. Kind of lost my voice. And then, honestly, probably a good thing because the hotel internet was terrible. So it probably would have been a garbage recording anyway, but. Yeah, no, that's all right. And when I get down to Austin after this uh, one deal closes, um, we'll we'll connect. Uh, we'll get some some nice barbecue and do some things. I do I do love me some Austin. I'm always down for an excuse to go to Austin. So I've probably been there three times this year. So I, I think I'm going in two weeks. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I might be down there in June as well. I don't know. Who knows? I do. I, I'm going to end up moving there one day. It's going to happen. Uh, who knows? Um, anyway, so all right. So let's see. We're going to jump right in and ask you, why acquisition-based rather than startup-based? There's a couple different levels to the why. And based on our earlier chat, one of the reasons is I think it's absolutely jacked up what our government did over the last couple of years with just really hamstringing local small businesses in favor of those bigger ones. Um, I'm not some like wokey kind of person, but... Like I care about my community, um, and I come from a background where a uh, typical big Italian family, and they all own their own businesses. Like in my hometown, you had a plumber, you had somebody who drilled wells, you have an electrician, a mechanic, like name a thing, and somebody in my family did it. And none of those businesses transitioned to the second generation. And, you know, if you go on a site like Biz Buy Sell or wherever it is, you see all these listings, 80% of them don't sell. In general, those businesses, they usually end up being an asset sale, something in that range. And it's not that they're bad businesses. It's just that they didn't have the parts and pieces in place to have continuation. Like being in the military, you know, we have our SOPs 
And like when I was over in Iraq, I had the crew chief's binder. It's like an inch thick. And if somebody was basically trained in my job, they might not be able to do it as well as I did, but they could execute and prosecute the air war. Like it was possible. So on the one side, when those businesses close, it's not like the another local business steps in usually. Somebody from one of the bigger ones comes in and takes over and we lose that asset in the local community. So that's part one. Part two is, you know, we talk about 80% of businesses not going to the next generation and 85, 90% of businesses that start up don't make it five years. Reasons they don't make it. Sometimes their ideas don't work. Their processes don't work. Getting that first dollar is a lot harder than getting money when you've already been in business for 15 years. Like these are basic things. And at the end of the day, it doesn't cost much more to acquire a cash flowing business than it does to start up. Like if you're going to be in construction, you need to buy all the tools, all the equipment, all these other parts and pieces, or you buy a company where they already have all that stuff. Like it's not rocket science to see. And like I had that, you know, asset sale thing happen with my stepdad. Um, I'm a website. I tell the entire story, you know, best builder in Southern Fairfield County, Connecticut. They call it the Gold Coast. Um, the houses are ridiculous. They're like, my house is decent. And it would be the guest house for some of the houses we were building. Yeah, it dude, ridiculous. And then he died on the job site and we had to asset sell everything. Didn't have the right insurance policies in place. My mom ended up having a ton of issues financially after that. And the same reasons 30 years in that his business had to be sold are the same reasons all these other businesses have to be sold. And it's not hard if you have good fundamentals to turn those things around. Like it's not fucking rocket science, but you need a process. And that's what I help people with is let's find a business in your space that you want to go into. We'll adjust it to your vision of things. But we're also going to standardize some processes, make things repeatable. So you're not working 100 hours a week. I did that in my 20s when I ran my first marketing company. It sucked. Ended up you know, just having a breakdown after three years. And it was fucking terrible. So I decided to learn from that, not do that. And that's what I'm helping folks do now. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So, okay. So how did, I mean, I guess... That kind of gives you the why. How did you get into this when you left the military? So I know you, in your bio, you talk, you mentioned uh, you started your first business when you were 24. You were in the Marine Corps for eight years. So that tells me there was some overlap in there. So this is that- the unintended consequence of a recruiter lying to me. Um, no, I know. We- what? I, I, was, I was a recruiter. We don't. Ah, you know, actually, it's funny. I always tell people the reason that I was the recruiter of the year and the staff and so I see of the year is because I was too honest. Like I would sit down, my recruiters would be bullshitting with kids, and I would be like, "Hey, dude, uh, my recruiter is going to find someone to enlist today. So either that's going to be you, or you need to get the fuck out of the office so he can find someone to enlist. So are you going to shit or get off the pot?" And kid and the recruiters would like freak out, and then the kids would like sign the papers. Dude, it's it's like, it's solid. So Thanks. I was supposed to be an air traffic controller, and so I live in south southwest Connecticut. And this is back in 2000, like there's $100,000 a year jobs back then doing air traffic control at any of the major airports. This is going to be dope. I could do it as a reservist. 
make a hundred grand a year, like sweet. So we get done with combat training down in Lejeune in uh, March of 2000, when I was about to say 2021. And, you know, they've got you, you get your orders and you're all going in line to the different buses because you're going different places. And I'm supposed to go to Pensacola around spring break time. This is going to be dope. I look at my orders. I go to the NCO, go, um, Corporal, what's 29 palms? He just laughed at me, laughed at me. So, I had a different MOS. Evidently, having a high 90 ASVAB guarantees the first two digits, not the last two. Big difference. And it's a very specialized field, air support operations. Um, it's basically being a battle space manager, and they don't do it every day. So they asked me to go active, and I asked them, how often do we do this? Like, how often do you actually get to do your MOS? It's like, like one week a month, which to an E1 means, so I'm going to be doing field days every day and playing fuck fuck games that's not really my speed so i stayed on the reserve side so i got back from iraq in 05 that's what the little certificate back there is for um from doing that and couldn't get a job like go back to working at um hallmark and stack beanie babies for seven dollars an hour so i just said fuck that i'm gonna go paint houses for ten dollars whatever and dude stiffed me on my paycheck so one of my buddies was selling Cutco Cutlerated and was like, you know what? I did that over winter break years ago. I didn't do great because I wasn't committed, but like, I know that I can make that path work. And I sat down with the division manager. I was like, dude, the guy's name is John Wasserman. I'm friends with him to this day. I want to do what you do, like be able to impact people. Like even as an NCO, I was really big on helping develop and look at the future of my Marines and help them grow. So it was a natural transition for me to help these young adults to learn the different skills they needed to successfully present themselves in sales, build their lead you know, base, and do all these parts and pieces. So that's what I did. I opened up my own branch office after a couple months. I was president's club, top 5% in the nation, um, ran his office while I was in school, 18 credits a semester. Like I was on the go because I didn't want to stay in this one place. So how did I get into it? It's always been a thing for me. Um, it comes back to some of the issues with like, and I go deep in this on my podcast, but like when you've been abandoned and feeling that abandonment as a kid, you want to serve and help others to empower and grow. So I took that feeling that I had lack in and have created a business through being able to empower others to be successful. And that sounds really woo-woo, but that's really it is... I enjoy doing that and I'm pretty good at it. So why not continue? But yeah, that that's how that all started. I wasn't great at it. It takes repetitions. Um, when I moved into working with the veterans again was 2019. My personal coach at the time, who's still my mentor, I have a habit of keeping good mentors. He helped yeah, I started doing personal development training for transitioning veterans, which means something different nowadays, I think, but that's okay. But helping people were only it's only for the Navy. Rob O'Neill might argue differently. But that that was the thing, like I started helping those people and I realized, you know, charging a hundred bucks a month, a thousand bucks a month, I wasn't gonna hit my goals for impact doing it that way. And my mentor had transitioned to instead of individual consulting, business consulting, and I had the same skill set, and I made that pivot. 
Um, like you mentioned, I've worked with a couple thousand financial offices, um, really got into the weeds with uh, a couple hundred that have made a massive difference in their revenue, um, bringing a couple hundred million dollars for them in additional business. And I took all those things because they're not really any different than another business, marketing operation, sales and service. It's those four things with a little bit of different flavor. It's not rocket science. So took that and then took the financial background I've had being a registered financial advisor for the last 10 years and caveat in case Finner's listening, I'm not technically the one raising the money. Um, I'm just guiding them on options that they can use. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting line. You have to walk with some of that stuff. That's that's how I got into all this stuff. Is like I understand both sides of the equation. I can figure out where the arbitrage opportunities are. And my LLC, the Delta Enhancement Group, it's a financial term. The Delta is the difference between where you are, where you're going. So that's everyone knows. That. No, that would have been the Delta Eight or Delta Nine Enhancement Group. I think the THC levels are like ninety percent already. So what more is there to do? Um, yeah, I'm gonna leave that to them. So that that's where I got started with all this, Dave. That's pretty much it. Man, I got paranoid for a second. I thought I heard someone walking around on the top of my unit here is an Airbnb. And I was like, I'm not supposed to have someone check it in until Well, that's why I keep something over there for those okay. situations. Fair enough. That's not what I was paranoid about. I was just paranoid that my Ducati is in the garage and the door between the office and the Airbnb is not secured. So I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to have to like run up there and be like, hang on, let me lock this door and pull the bike out of the garage so you guys can actually use the Airbnb if there's someone I didn't know was checking. Yeah, that and you don't want to have little holes in the drywall. It's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I had a really funny idea for a short today. I'm trying to do more comedy stuff, and so I think I'm definitely gonna like buy blanks for this and do a do a desk pop in one of my shorts at some point and see. I know TikTok will ban it, but I don't think the other platforms. Some of those when people pop themselves in the leg, they get a lot of views. Yeah, well, I mean, well, I know, but know, I mean, they have, they didn't take those down. Yeah, dude, thinking he's really cool. Well, we shot. Uh, my most viral video on TikTok is me and my buddy Hugh touring his missile silo in Kansas. And the same day, like literally we ended that and before it was even posted, we filmed another video where we went back down the tunnel, grabbed his M4, came down and basically shot a round off into the abyss that goes like 18 floors down. And uh, basically the clip is Hugh going... I wonder what this will sound like. Oh, we got to make sure there's no bears down in that thing. No one's been down there in years. So make sure there's nothing down there. You know, that thing didn't last five minutes on TikTok before it was gone. And I'm like, dude, we shot this thing literally 18 stories into the ground in a decommissioned missile silo bunker. Like you can't get much more safe than into four stories of water, 18 floors under, underground. But nope. No, not no. The, safe. The algorithms don't really work for that kind of stuff. Um, they're focused on other things. So that's all right. Yeah. 
Anyway, so I digress. Um, <laughs> all right, so, um, all right, here's a, here's a, we're, we're going to take this in a weird direction. I'm curious. Somebody like me, I run a, we're not going to talk the real estate stuff because that's easy, but somebody like me who has a super abstract business that has recurring revenue through online education stuff, are there funding options? available for something like that and i'm curious not necessarily because i'm actually looking for funding but just because i've always thought like i don't even count it on like my net worth tracker because i'm like eh, i don't even know if i could sell this thing with a multiple i know what my revenue is but uh like in my head it's like how do you sell a brand you know it's just like a online platform with a facebook group like but if i disappear then then what <laughs> uh, and so I'm just curious your thoughts, if that's even a thing, like if you've seen anything like that. There are people that are going to buy something like that. Um, if, and this goes for all businesses, it's like I'm looking at buying this trucking company. Um, it's probably going to be somewhere around 40 mil. For everything that the owner does, I subtract money. So if he's helping in the marketing, that's one more marketing person at $100,000 a year. If he's helping with sales, that's two salespeople at $70,000 a year. Like, I back all of that out to see what the real value is and what the cost of replacement is. So if it's a cult of personality business, that's hard to sell. Like, If the MLR is based on you, it's much harder because you'd have to still be there. Now, could you sell it and then be signed on to continue to do your fuckery? Sure, you can do that. That's possible. But in general, in a business, and this is where the ability to acquire versus startup really becomes cost effective, is if you can do the things that that owner is doing and potentially have somebody like me to help you standardize the process to remove you from those processes, that's when you start to look at what kind of multiple would I get? Because frankly, in your case, your email list is value. So is there... Is there something that you could sell? Absolutely. Is it going to be... I got 20000 Yeah, but is it going to be generational wealth? No. No. Um, but there are people that buy like those small websites. Um, think of like Flippa and a couple other places where they do that. But it's not going to generate like a massive revenue stream unless you standardize those operations and make it so that you're not the face of the brand. Makes sense. Cool. It's, it's really relevant. Like people don't... Uh, like they think like you see all the gurus and their businesses and all the stuff. I'm probably the worst person at promoting my own business, like just massively inefficient with it because I don't actually advertise. Like I've clients that are like, Hey dude, can we work together? I've never advertised. It's all referral based, which that's how I ran my marketing company too. So it makes sense. And eventually I will start to do that. But I'm not going to do that until I have a team in place that understands the process. And I'm not a guru. Um, the EOS model, there's a book, Traction by Gina Wickman. It's right back there. There you go. Why am I ETO right now? It doesn't make sense. So I'm one of those people like, I'll give you the answers to the test. I don't really mind. Um, in the financial side of the house, we'd have contests for driving revenue and the other people in the office, I would hold 
a little webinar like this, I'm like, all right, y'all, so here's what I'm going to do to win this competition. And it was like, wait, you're going to tell us exactly how you're doing it, like the points you're going to make and how you're going to do that? Yeah. Why would you do that? Well, because I want you to be successful. And I know that I'm going to produce at a higher level than you do anyway. So I know I'm going to win doing this, but I want you to be successful as well. Because a lot of people think of things where it's a zero-sum game where in order for you to win, I have to lose. That's not true. It's a very blue water, blue ocean approach. I can win and you can too. You know, as we progress through these things, um, going back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and spiral dynamics, as you elevate up a level, you can bring somebody with you and help them elevate themselves as well. And that's kind of my model for what I do is I know that I can execute at a high level, but I also know that I can teach you to do that too. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're right. If you can scale that person out of a job, like those are the people who, I mean, if you look at like Alex Formosi, right? Like he's basically scaling. Yeah. I love his stuff. Um, but he's essentially, that's what he's doing is he's scaling skill sets. He's not buying into a company or, or joining in for equity and then saying, I'll do everything for you. Like, and his model, by the way, is very similar to mine with some of the stuff. So for that trucking venture, um, I've got an open invitation from a search fund where as long as it fits their mandate, if I'm staying on as a equity owner and consultant in that business, they'll stroke a check for the down payment. They get an equity stake too. That's how they reimburse themselves. But that's what I'm doing with that. Um, my other partner in that business, he's a veteran as well. He's going to be the CEO and I'm going to be the person helping to get all the systems in place so this family-owned business can move away from being focused on the individuals and have the systems and processes to continue to grow. Fun fact is I'm going to have maybe $500 into that acquisition of a $40 million company. Mostly just to make sure the contract's good. I love it. Yeah. And and that's kind of where when you and I were talking, I was like, oh shit, this is awesome. Because that's some of the stuff that I would like to try to get into. Uh, and I obviously not, I'm not quite operating at your level, Bob. And I say quite operating at your level. Like I don't have the experience to operate at that level um, yet. But I've been playing with that idea with local businesses where I'm just like, dude, I look around and I'm like, God, some of these guys are so bad at just the marketing and ops. And I'm like, even something as simple as automating how they take payment and marketing, and I could double your revenue, give me a quarter, and I guarantee you. Prime example, and I'll go on a fucking podcast and say it because I've tried to pay these motherfuckers for two years now, so I don't even feel bad just blasting them. I don't even know the name of the freaking company. I've probably got his business card around here somewhere. My fucking lawn care company at this house. I have owned this house that since is such a July of 2021, and I have not paid him once because he doesn't know how to take my money. He has invoiced me, and I've replied to the email and been like, hey, dude, there's no address for me to send the check, and there's no payment link. How do you want me to send you the money? Nothing. Every time. No response. When the, his guys come through, like the first time he came by, they were like, hey, we'll do this for free. And then after that, it'll be 40 bucks a week. I was like, sweet. 
And that was the first time I met the owner, the only time I've ever seen him. And I was like, hey, how do I pay you? Like, I'll just set it up right now. And he's like, oh, here, write your email down on this piece of paper and I'll send you an invoice. And I was like, can I just set it up automatically right now? I hate checks. Like, I have the same check for the last 15 years. I don't use them. I kid you not, man. His guys come through to mow my yard and I flag them down for like the first six months. And I'm like, hey, I owe you guys money. And they're like, oh, you got to talk to the owner. And I'm like, I, and so I reply to the email, no response. After like six months, I'm like, you know what? This fucking dude can just find me when he wants my, I probably owe them three grand in my yard. And shameless plug. At this point, I'm like, hey, shameless plug. Free grass. My podcast, Intentional Disruption. Episode 109. I literally talked about this because that my landscaper, he's a young kid. God bless him. <laughs> Jesus. Like, there's just some stuff. So, like, I don't live in a poor neighborhood, and I don't want that to come off the wrong way. Dude, this is a class A. This is the nicest house that I own. Like, the, and I, I live in the poor part of my neighborhood. Like, my house is only... This is a, this is a 4,800 square foot, like, six, three and a half. You, you've got me... Duplex. You've only got me about like, a thousand square feet. It's funny. Um... But like, I'm in the poor part of my neighborhood because there's twenty million dollar houses down the road. Oh yeah, well this is this is like, like this is Connecticut, like everything. Else. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah. this is so Missouri. Like in the front yard, my wife wanted to get rid of the gravel that was here when we moved in. She wanted River Rock. Ironic because the dude's name is River, but we'll leave the rest off for that. So all right, dude, like pull everything out, put down fabric, put in the River Rock. It's like three inch rock. And just do it. He was like, he, so he got it done and it was thinner than a jabushin. And like, what what do you do? Like, dude, I can see all the fabric. Oh, well, was, you know, I didn't want to, you know, do two truckloads. Like, just get the fucking rock. I've come, like, my, my time is valuable. I charge people hundreds of dollars an hour just to have a conversation to help their business. It's actually more than that now. But like then, like, dude, just order two loads of rock. And then, like, with those things, like, and then he didn't bill us for months and months. Uh, I actually told him, like, I gave him the exact thing I mentioned in episode 109. It's not rocket science. Calendly, Stripe, even though I'm not a fan of them, but, like, for simplicity. And then QuickBooks. One, two, and three, they all go together, and you can bill for the service ahead of time, do all those things. But how many small businesses don't have something like that? And all of those are basically free. They cost a percentage but like there's not like a retainer i think quickbooks make it yeah and stripe you can set up a recurring payment on the spot i do it when i'm standing there on your phone like hey dude you want me to do your lawn great here we'll do it one month one week free but then we'll set your information up right here and next week it'll start it'll be recurring all you got to do is go here and hit cancel whenever you want me to stop coming but again like something like that there's so many businesses like that and you know, say you're a vet and you wanted to get into landscaping, you could buy one of those companies and have all the stuff you need. Like the reason businesses fail is because they don't know who they're talking to and they don't have a process. That's 90% of it. Like people will say, oh, well, it's the economy and this and that. Look, I sold high-end kitchen cutlery during the 2008 recession. So my first branch office was in 06 after I got back from Iraq. The next summer, opened up a branch office because I was in college. 07, I deployed to Djibouti. Got back in 08. That's when I transitioned out and it was a shit show. Again, no jobs. I didn't have a degree. 
I'd run a war, but no degree. So you can't get a job in like a company. So I went back and sold Cucko and I did 50% more business than I did in 2006. In 2009, when like everything was really bad, I doubled my result from 2008. I didn't do it the right way. I worked 100 hours a week and I burned myself into the ground, but like I made more money than my parents do when I was 26. But I had, I hadn't learned the lesson about properly delegating some of the different systems in business. And we were at a different point in time where you can have fractional work. But my mentor, he told one of the most important things he told me is, you know, know your worth. And if you can pay somebody else to do that job for less than what you make per hour, pay somebody else to do that job so you can be more productive. Like I used to edit my own podcast. I did it for a hundred episodes. Now I pay this dude in the UK 25 bucks a pop and he comes up with all the description. He edits out the long pauses I have because I don't talk quickly. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. I explained I do it for a reason, but yeah, yeah. people don't have any attention span nowadays. Yes. No, nope, nope. You gotta, um, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I, I edited my own shit for like 30, 40 episodes, so I get it. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I didn't really edit it. I just cut the ends off and called well, it. Well, and then you add your intro, your outro, and all that stuff. It's, you know, it's not rocket science. Use Libsyn or something like that. Yet now they've got, I haven't tried it yet, but they've got this thing called AirPod, which is like AI built that supposedly will go in and chop it all up. Supposedly, you might want to try this. Because um, if you're only, like, if you're not doing shorts and everything, um, and you're just doing the podcast, uh, supposedly, you can take your podcast drop it into airpod which is ai based and in like five minutes it'll cut it back to you perfectly edited and for like that's not bad bucks i do need to do some of the shorts and all that stuff i just yeah i'm not following all the traditional social media things where like you need to post every day you need to do this you need to do that it, it takes time and i mean i'm up at 4 30 already do the work that I need to do for the business and that, but I'm committed every day. I, my son gets up at six and he spends a half hour with me. We go on the back deck. He has his milk and a banana or an apple or whatever he's going to have. I have my second cup of coffee and we share that connected time with each other. And I'll be fucked if I'm not, I'm going to skip on that to post on social media. I'm just not doing that. So eventually later this year, like we were starting to talk about some of those things. I'll just pay people to automate and do all that stuff for me because it just doesn't make, it doesn't make sense to do that. Yeah, I agree. So, okay. So you mentioned, uh, the biz by sell earlier. Is that kind of your, like, is that a go-to if you're, so if you're me and you're like, wow, this is a cool idea. Um, would that be something that you would look at for buying one of these businesses or would you just like walk around your street, talk to some of these guys who own landscaping companies or like, cause I, you know, in my head, I'm like, if I'm looking at buying one of these smaller companies, then I would just need to find an owner and talk to them about seller carry and you know, whatever, uh, unless you're talking bigger businesses. But like, I, I guess two part question, I guess, where would you recommend someone look? And is it easier for someone like me who's thinking about getting into this game? You know, in my head, it's like, Easy, buy the landscaping guy who sucks, but is that making the mistake, and I say this, I reference a lot of times on the show that when I bought my first duplex, mm -hmm. I wish I'd bought a fourplex, 
I shortchanged myself because I thought, well, we'll just play it safe in case this isn't the right idea. Is it easier to buy like a business that's doing 50 to 100,000, 200,000 in revenue or to go to like non-recourse debt size, 5, 10 mil, full on actual legitimate multiple employee bank finance SBA business where you can jump in with like a search fund and go big where you can because I, in my head, I think that might actually be the easier route if you know what you're doing. So it's an interesting question because there's two answers. Perfect. I like that. Now, I'll break it down everybody. Barney style. So a biz buy sell means you're using a broker, which means it's like buying a used car. There's margin built in, usually 10, 15% that the broker's going to have. So the seller's already essentially discounted their business by 15% and nobody wants to sell their baby for cheap. They're also being told that their business is the most amazing, beautiful baby, just like everybody thinks their kids are like that. So it's harder to transact, but at least like they've started some of the process of making sure it's not a clusterfuck. And I say that, so this room right now, the windows are open because I haven't done HVAC in here because you can buy a house for over half a million dollars in Connecticut and not have central air. Yeah. Um, so the question is, it's going to be 40 grand to do HVAC. In it's amazing how different fucking markets are. You couldn't buy a mobile home in Springfield, Missouri that doesn't have HVAC, I don't think. Like, that would be a speed yeah. Well, this, when exactly. I bought this house in 20, this... My office is about 800 square feet, and it was just studs, just unfinished space. Um, you know, if you're listening in Connecticut, there was a permit pulled. Um, I just used it because that's the law. But like the rest of the house doesn't have it. Like never came with central air. It just didn't do it. Um, so I was looking at doing that. I was like, give me like 40 grand. And I was like, fuck this. I can buy a company that does that for less money than it would be to get that installed. That's stupid. So I looked at one that's uh, a town over. Really good name, been around for 20 some odd years. Had good contracts with like uh, municipal businesses and then individuals they would work on too. Got one 700 grand. That's 70K up front, you know, 10% down. You know, not too bad. Um, but you could have structured the deal so it was basically the same amount of money. Um but he did everything. He was still involved in the sales process. He would still do the estimates. He would still do. And then we got to the vehicles. And this is where this trucking deal is getting a little complicated too. So the guy had, he was like, oh, and it comes with my trucks. Like, Motherfucker, you're tr you owe $50,000 on your three trucks. And you already took the 179 depreciation on them. So they're not only worthless, they're actually less than worthless because you have a liability attached to them. You'd have to pay those off for me to buy the business. Didn't want to do that. And I, I talked to the broker. I was like, dude, I mean, he, he shouldn't be selling this business right now. It's not ready. This is an asset sale right now. And the guy, the broker actually agreed with me, which I don't think he was supposed to. But yeah, the broker's like, oh, yeah, well, he incentivized now. And that guy ended up buying or hiring a consultant. So I don't know how that went. But if you're looking at a smaller business, here's the way to look at it. How organized and how well run is that business going to be? Maybe, maybe not. Now, that doesn't make it a bad idea. And especially if you... Yeah, 
if you can do the opportunity in equity, like what, like you just mentioned, you're really good on the marketing side of things and setting up all, like the payment processing. If you can start off, hey, I'm going to fix these parts of the business. Make sure this is a viable business. You give me 25% of it. You know, earn your equity, and then buy out the owner. You you could do something like that and have basically no money down. It's possible. Um, there's 10,000 gurus out there with a course on how to do it. Um, Roland Flazier's is actually pretty decent, but he doesn't talk about the nuts and bolts. You had the VTO up, so you know the nuts and bolts I'm talking about to actually make the business run smoothly. But like with the deal I'm doing, that's um, for a hard seltzer company. And I'll leave the name out of it, but if you're in the veteran community, you probably know who the owners are. <laughs> we started talking last year because they'd mentioned on their podcast, you know, they're trying to raise a couple million like money for their seltzer company. It's like, so I, I sent the guy a message because one of my clients is also his doctor. Um, so he's like, hey, man, I need to get a hold of him. And just talk about it. I was like, dude, what's going on? Like, how much do you actually need? There's a couple million dollars, like, no bigs. This is before the Fed went absolutely apeshit with their rates and fucked everything up for everybody for some time. And I learned a valuable lesson because I have connections in family offices, different funding opportunities. It's easier to get eight figures than it is seven or six. Ten times out of ten. Like if you told me you've got a business with a 40% margin that you wanted to buy, you're going to probably pay 20% interest. You might be able to do it for a little bit less, but probably not. But I can get you that money in 90 days. Like, I know the people to talk to and they'll take care of it. Because again, I don't technically raise it for all that other stuff. But like, it's easier to do that. So the question for you would then become, if you understand the process of running a business, why not look at the more expensive business, one that's doing over a million dollars in EBITDA, or profit, if we're keeping it simple. And then start to buy up those smaller companies with your earnings. For anyone listening who you just blew their mind, uh, EBITDA, I'm going to mess this up, earnings before interest, taxes, and appreciation. Okay. Yeah. So just Well, that, that's why I, I simplified the person. I just realized those. We're, in, <laughs> we're used to acronyms. No, I know. I just wanted to make sure I actually we said the acronym. Um. But in general, that dude, it's just that simple. It's complicated, but simple. But that's one of the things, like at UConn this year, I'm going to be teaching. Because I was one of the guest uh, judges for their business pitch competition at the Entrepreneurial Bootcamp for Veterans. And I saw some of these ideas, and a lot of them are good, but they're not unique enough where you couldn't find a business that's already doing that and has revenue, and then bolt on your idea to it and create another vertical. So why not do that? And like, I don't get anything from UConn to do that stuff, but just making people aware that there's a different way to go about it. If it helps more of our community start owning these local businesses. And, you know, I personally think that veterans are a very good source or pillar in the community. We might be a little bit dirtbaggy at times, but we tend to have good ethics and like really stand up individuals. And I don't see how it doesn't help a community to have 
somebody from our tribe own the local business, sponsor the soccer team and all that other stuff versus having some, you know, large cap corporate that puts another location in and all those money gets sucked out of the community. Doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, let's see. A couple questions. It's going to get spicy. This is, um, you know, mild salsa. Mild salsa at best. <laughs> oh, no. I just meant that I was going to ask you a oh. question right out the gate without jumping into your story first. I don't know about spicy, spicy. I got to keep it to where all the listeners know what's up. Um, we don't talk small business or business enough to dig way, way, way in. We just might have to do a part two where we go much deeper into business once Alex is back. Um, he's, I know, well, he's doing a, a pilgrimage. He's doing the, what is it, Santiago de something, something, de Camino. There's yeah, a few of them out that from, way, like where there's like these. Yeah, from Portugal to Spain. He's doing a part, he did part of it last year, like 80 miles. He's doing like 100 and something this year. Um, super cool. Um, living his best life. So, um, all right. So I guess, well, we'll just, we'll roll this piece up. Somebody who's looking to get into the acquisition side of business. What would you say is like your favorite resource that they should look at for learning about that? That's going to depend on if they intend to run the business or if they intend to hire somebody to run the business. So if you're going to run the business yourself, first you need to learn how to run a business. The stuff that you know about the EOS model, that's very good for that. Scrum by Jeff Sutherland, a very good book on the agile mindset. Um, Built to Sell by John Warlow. So you have an understanding of how to really focus in on the key competencies of the business. Very good things to learn. And... I mean, I mentioned like there's Roland Frazier, Sebastian Alveda. Um, there's a lot of people that talk about how the process of acquiring a business works. You know, there's some finance involved with understanding does this business actually cash flow? Because a lot of people say, oh, the business makes $300,000 a year. Okay, but if you have to pay somebody to do that job, you know, to run the company, and then you've got debt service. Does the debt service actually cover it? Like, is it actually going to make enough money? So on this trucking deal, just to go back to it, we're talking probably $40 million. There's $35 million roughly worth of vehicle assets and their profits somewhere in the $3 million range. Well, the problem at that number becomes debt service is about Four. So it can look like a really good business and that's great. But you're at a point. So you're, you're actually not going to make any money. And that's actually what my partner is talking to yeah, the other about. You're under 1% DSCR. And that's at a 7% interest rate. God knows what the actual number is. But, and that's with 20% down. So there's some financial. So you'd need to find somebody if you're not like really good at that or geek out on that stuff. Um, again, I'm going to say Roland Frazier because he'll give you a deal flow chart that you can use. Um, Sebastian, he does as well. Um, I can give you their Facebook profiles. Um, you know, if you need to link it over for people, I don't have an affiliate link with them again, blue ocean. I don't really care. 
Oh, it's all good. I'm looking up their books right now, so I'll link them in the uh, in the good old. Uh, yeah. So there, there's just two different sides to it. Because if you're going to actually run it, did you just buy yourself a job? I mean, cool if that's your goal, and if you want to be in that space and grow and develop it and make it great, do it. Not not saying not to, but for me, I'm going to help with this trucking company. I I don't have long term goals of being a trucker. Like they're really cool, but that's not my job. My goal is to make a couple of these acquisitions and have a partner that is going to be a partner in the business and is going to be the operator. I'm going to be the one helping them grow and scale. And I can handle 10 of those acquisitions and essentially be the, some you might call it a COO, but the consultant to help them operate properly. My long-term goal then is to not be the bank, but identify businesses that can be bought, identify people that can be the operators of the business. I can find the funding. Amazingly enough, that's not the hardest part in this process. But finding people that are going to be competent operators that understand things like the VTO, that's that's the slowing down point. But eventually, I want to create it where these smaller businesses you're talking about, we keep an equity portion, but in my portfolio, we've got the people that are your CPAs. We've got the people that are your marketing people. You've got your SEO master. You've got your web guy. You've got all of those parts and pieces, and you just leverage the ne- the resources of the central hub, make life simple, and operate your business. And we keep an equity stake in your business. We're an interested partner. That way I can go to part two and three, which is really going to be helping veterans in transition and transition them into business ownership instead of going into corporate America because, no offense to corporate America, but it sucks. Uh, did it for 10 years. Don't like it. <laughs> yep awesome all right uh, well then what is we always try to ask this question what do you think is the top trait that makes veterans successful in the business space if you'd asked me that question in 2008 I would have said perseverance I think that's actually the critical flaw in a lot of ways And I say that because I was dealing with being improperly diagnosed my PTS because they didn't talk about that back then. They diagnosed it as bipolar because, oh, you didn't see somebody get shot, so you couldn't have it. Mm, Doesn't really work that way. Um, So like that whole thing fucked me up for a little while. Um, But I thought, you know, I'm a Marine. I'm tough. I'm strong. I'm just going to push through, push through, push through. What makes you successful is understanding yourself and being able to ask for help. And I don't like the idea that we hear nowadays where, you know, veterans, you know, 22 a day, we're all broken. Chuck that. That's not the case. We need a new mission. I think our biggest strength, it's still probably perseverance, maybe structure, but only if you're self-aware enough to realize, hey, you know, raise my hand, I need a hand. And that was really hard for me to do because when I asked for help from the Navy corpsman, I got completely fucked. But now I can see and understand that. And I created a tribe around myself where I can go to very smart people and say, hey, I'm having this question, this problem on business. Like my mentor said, I'm a thing on Voxer. Hey, these numbers aren't working. 
making sense to me. How should I properly factor? Then here's your answer and go. Old me would have said, no, fuck, I just need to drop my numbers, drive the numbers. When really, I just need to be smarter about how I do it. So that was an interesting answer because I said that it was our biggest weakness, but also our biggest strength. But that's also the duality of man. So enjoy. That's true. I like it. Well, Mike, what is this? Hold me, growwithdelta.com. And you might notice it'll take you to my Calendly. <laughs> Practice what you preach. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Mike Demo. Um, I'm on Facebook, Mike Demo. Um, if anybody goes to Instagram, I don't really post anything business related there. Uh, USMC 3782. Man, and you're just going to let me go like the entire fucking podcast having said demo because I just assume that there was no reason to ask Dude, you. 41 years in, it's not your fault. It's Ellis Allen's fault. So, <laughs> I mean, if it makes you feel any better, I never correct anyone on my name because I just gave up like years ago. I'm like, dude, no one knows how to say my last name. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's Paray. Although it's actually hell. But, you know, nobody knows how to say it. I mean, I'm just, you know, all these years in, I'm pretty much used to it. My own family doesn't even know how to say my shit because they changed it when they moved from France to try to fit in. And so the French people don't know how to say it and the English people don't know how to say it and the fucking Americans are like, fuck you, Frenchie. I'm just proud of you for joining the military. I mean, sometimes. <laughs> I tried. Yeah. Yep, yep. You know, I carry my little white flag in my pocket, but... It's a handkerchief. I haven't right? had to use it yet, so... Yeah. It's in my it's in my beard. So... <laughs> I just wave it. I don't have that up. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh man Mike this has been a lot of fun and I think we should do a part two go a little deeper into some of the weeds and some of the numbers but I definitely am going to have you come talk to the mastermind we're going to deep dive there um, and so my shameless plug as always is for those of you who want to get the deep dive type stuff this episode is sponsored by the War Room Mastermind so you got the deep dive and the real um, the good stuff you know that's where that's where the good stuff happens right the people with the skin in the game so come join the mastermind like this has been awesome. Yeah, man. Really glad we finally got to weeks. That's that long. Whatever. That's half a month. Two weeks. Half a month sounds so much. It's what guys do. And yeah, most guys are pretty short lived. <laughs> that, that, that's a you problem. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> absolutely glorious. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.